Welcome to the latest edition, the special edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, coming at you as I love to do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, over the digital airways of YouTube. As usual, I'm in the studio, thanks to my official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sponsor of the Stephen A. Smith Show. As always, I'm thanking you uh, big time because I'm ex I've exceeded over 370,000 followers, picking up over 1,400 subscribers per day. Um, this this podcast, this show, uh, would it be clicking? Would it be clicking on all cylinders? Wouldn't it be going as well as it's going if it wasn't for the support and love that you've been giving me? And I thank you so much. But I'm just getting started. This is just the start of big things to come. Make no mistake about it. Remember, I got a new studio that I'm opening up in a matter of weeks. Wait till you see that and you'll see why I've been in different places, just getting the stuff set and what have you. And I'm going to be ready to go. So I'm really, really excited about it. It, wasn't, it doesn't happen if you're not supporting me. So I, again, I thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. And by the way, since you're already giving me support, please don't stop there. Make sure you go out and buy my book, my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's been climbing the charts all of these months and I'm still a bestseller. Can't thank you enough. So I really, really appreciate it. You know, usually I touch on a potpourri of subjects with any show that I do. Today's going to be a little bit different. And by the way, it's not just because I'm traveling. It's because this person that I'm about to interview is a very, very compelling person in my mind. Uh, I taped this interview a few days ago. It's somebody that I've admired uh, for a long time. Uh, somebody that I think brings a lot to the table um, because he's incredibly inspirational. He's got a podcast. It's called The School of Greatness. The School of Greatness. Lewis House is his name. And there's so many things that he's been doing. There's so many wonderful people that he's been talking to. And the kind of subjects that he talks about are simply things that you can't ignore. He spoke on achieving not just success, but greatness, deciphering the difference between the two. He's been talking with numerous people about that. He's talking about how winning isn't the only thing. It's your talent, it's your skills, it's your gifts that can also serve as motivational tools to inspire so many people. He talked about chasing success um, and achieving it, but still not feeling fulfilled. He really goes about the business of dissecting and trying to figure out what it is that makes people click? What is it that truly, truly defines success? And does that feeling vary from individual to individual? And if so, why? There's so many different questions that come to mind and there's simply no way around it. When you're talking to somebody like that, it makes you step back and become a bit more reflective. Have you done everything that you can do to be all that you can be? Have you truly been happy? If so, why? If not, why not? What does it take to make you happy? Is success really that it for you, that drug of choice per se? There's so many things that I wanted to ask him about. And it took me a while uh, because of his schedule and mine conflicting with one another over the last few months, of course, to get it together. But eventually we just did the other day. And it's my honor and privilege to talk to him. So here is yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show, talking to the man, the myth, the legend, the host of the School of Greatness, Mr. Lewis House. This is us talking. Hopefully, we'll find out the true definition of success once we finish with this conversation and whether or not any of us are truly capable of really, really achieving it. 
Here's Lewis and yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? My guest today is a New York Times bestselling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, former arena football player, and author of The Greatness Mindset. Unlock the power of your mind and live your best life today. And of course, the podcast, The School of Greatness. Please, please welcome Mr. Lewis Howes. What's going on, man? How's, what's going on, Lewis? How you doing? How's everything? My man, Stephen. Good to see you, man. Grateful and blessed. Man, same here, man. First of all, thank you for being on the show. And I hear congratulations is in order. That you, is, is it true you just got engaged? Is that true? Just got, just got engaged, man. Feeling incredible, grateful, and uh, lots of love, man. It's now, a, you know what people, time. you know what a lot of men will ask you? They'll ask you how, how, how you become brave enough to take that plunge. I mean, ex explain <laughs> how, how, how did it get to that point? How did you become brave enough to do this, Lewis? Man, well, it took me till I was forty. I just turned forty this year. <laughs> right. I've had a lot of I had a lot of challenges and relationships in the past, so I made a lot of mistakes, and I feel like I'm finally learning. So that's that's how I got here. I got you. I got you. As we sit here today, watch it. I mean, again, New York Times bestseller. You've been accomplishing a lot of things, no doubt about that. I just want to know the School of Greatness. It's got over five hundred million downloads and a thousand episodes since it launched in 2013, and it's ranked the top 100 iTunes podcast. Why do you think that resonates so much and that's resonated so much with so many people? Um, I think because I've been really curious about finding the truth, finding mm. answers. I think a, lo a lot like you, we probably just do it a little differently that, that you're always seeking the truth, what's real, what's authentic. Right. And uh, since I was a kid, I always wanted to know what it took to be successful. I was drawn by the greats, but I was thinking about success as a kid. How do I make money? How do I accomplish my goals? How do I become, you know, an elite athlete, go pro, all these different things. It was more success minded. And here's the thing, Stephen A, I accomplished a lot of the things that I went after. I, I became successful in my own way mm -hmm. in sports. Uh, I played with the USA national team for team handball. I played, wow. I played arena pro football for a while before I got injured. And then I went off to launch a multi-million dollar business. But in my twenties, I was chasing success and accomplishing it but still feeling not enough, feeling, still feeling insignificant, still feeling not worthy, mm -hmm. a lot of fake, a lot of false confidence. And it wasn't until I hit about 30, 10 years ago when I launched this show where I said, you know what? Something is missing. I've been chasing success, but what I really want is greatness. And greatness, what I've learned, is different than success. Success is about me. Greatness is about what I can do with my gifts to also impact others. So yes, I can accomplish and achieve, but I'm also doing something beyond me. And I've been fascinated with interviewing, meeting, connecting with the greats in sports, business, science, and life. And uh, that's what I've been fascinated by. When you say that you were in search of, of, of greatness, you say that you realized this about 10 years ago. What was mm -hmm. going on in your life at that particular moment in time that made you know you didn't have greatness, at least in the crevices of your mind. <laughs> Man, uh, feeling, I remember this is an interesting moment. I was talking about this one with someone on my team the other day. Um, I, I went to the White House when I was 29, so just, under, just over 10 years ago, and I got some award for one of the top 100 entrepreneurs in America under 30. Um, so one of the top 100 in the country under 30, 
And I have this photo of Obama signed, you know, saying, thank you for being one of these individuals helping entrepreneurship in America. And I remember being at the White House with all these other incredible entrepreneurs who are making a lot more money than me. Um, and just thinking to myself, but why am I not happy? Why am I still struggling in relationships? Why am I in breakdown? Why am I defensive in life? Why am I frustrated and feeling these things that don't feel great? Sure, on the outside, I might look like I have some things figured out. I've accomplished certain things, but I still don't feel like good. Mm. You know, I'm successful, but I don't feel good about me. And I, I, I had to break the identity of what success and greatness was for me and realize like they're, they're different. It might look the same, but they're different. And I know you, you've interviewed, you know, a lot more great athletes than I have, but I had the chance to interview Kobe Mm. before he, before he passed. And one of the things that Kobe talked about was greatness was about being able to inspire impact and really infuse love through your impact in the person next to you and it rippling to the person next to them and next to them. Using your gifts and talents in service of love was mm-hmm. a lot of things that Kobe was talking about with me. And it wasn't just about winning and championships. It's about the impact we can make with our talents and our gifts. This- and I think there's a, there's a difference between those that we see that make a lot of money mm-hmm. in sports who, you know, Mike Tyson or whoever else makes a lot of money, then loses it all and goes through a crash in their life as well at some point and has to realize, oh, that's not what it's all about. I've got to be doing it in service to something greater than just me. Describe the kind of person you was visually on the outside to somebody just looking at you before all of this this epiphany hit you and you were and you became on this you just got yourself on this mission in pursuit of greatness if i looked at lewis house what would i have seen at that particular moment in time before all of this transpired you would have seen someone that looks a lot like me physically um because i still had a lot of joy a lot of passion a lot of love for life Mm -hmm. but underneath it was a scared little boy was a scared little boy, unwilling to reveal or be vulnerable about anything. So everything had to look good. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be an image base. And I had to protect that image at all costs. Otherwise, I felt like I was going to die in some ways, emotionally. So I had to learn how to psychologically and emotionally let go of these masks that I wore. You know, this athlete mask, this tough guy mask, this know-it-all mask, this all these different things. I had to, they helped me accomplish and succeed, but they didn't help me feel fulfilled and significant and feel enough. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn how to heal, mend, and let go of these kind of false images that I'd built up in myself that served one area of life, but did not serve the other. So just to give you a context of what was happening mm-hmm. at that time, I was in, a, I had moved to LA for a girl that uh, I was dating that ended up not working out pretty quickly. You and moved, you, and, you moved, you relocated yeah, for her. I, I told myself I would never do this. And it was a really? great lesson. I ended up doing it. From where, by the, the way, where day, did you relocate from? I was, I was in New York city, living okay. the dream. My life was on fire. I was building my business. I was playing with the USA national team. Right. I was loving life. I'm from a small town in Ohio. So this was like, man, a whole new world, right? right. I was like. Aladdin up in here. And um, I moved because I was, you know, into this girl after about six months of dating. And the day I landed, she broke up with me. Oh, my Lord. And it was like, what? And I was like, what? 
You're bringing, you wanted me to be out here. Now you don't want to be with me. It was like a chaotic experience. We yeah. ended up getting back together the next day and it was off and on for like the next six months. And it was just an emotional turmoil. Oh, oh. I was like, what is happening with this relationship? Where are we going? This right. is all over the place. Right. At the same time, my business was growing, but I was having kind of like an emotional breakup with my business partner at the same time as well. Mm. And so my business relationships were struggling. My intimate relationship was struggling. And as an athlete, Stephen, I didn't know how to take my energy out or my emotions out. I didn't know how to communicate them consciously or in a healthy way. And so I would feel all this frustration and anger and resentment from intimacy, from a business partnership. And I went out and played pickup basketball here in West Hollywood almost every night. Mm. And um, I ended up getting in a lot of different fights mm. on the mean streets of Beverly Hills. And <laughs> pick, the pick mean streets of Beverly Hills, 90210. These were pickup basketball games that had nothing on the line. With you know, with just a bunch of average players, and they were able to get under my skin so easily to the point where I got in a fist fight on a basketball court ten years ago. This was everything that was my wake up call, and um, you know I reacted to someone. He head butted me, and then I get in a fight with him. We're kind of jarring at each other the whole game, trash talking. But I end up getting in a fight, and I realized, oh man, this is um, something's off with me. Something's wrong with me. Like I'm I'm willing to be to risk everything I've built for a stupid, silly fight from a no stakes basketball game uh, in, in Beverly Hills. Right. And um, it was a big wake up call. And my friend was with me at the same time playing with me on, on that, on the game. And afterwards he goes, man, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're reacting to a lot of different things. You're very defensive when you don't need to be. And I don't want to play basketball with you anymore. If you're going to be like this. And that was a wake up call where I started to, go down this journey of saying, I need to reach out to some mentors, guides, teachers, healers, and learn why I'm triggered and reactive as opposed to in control of my emotions. Mm. And I think we, we see this from, you know, great athletes who are more in control and calmer throughout all, all right. the ups and downs of a game. And they're typically more successful because they know how to manage their mind. Well, and that's one of the things I've studied. Lewis, I got to ask, I got to interject. Oh, first of all, did you win the fight? I mean, did you at least win the fight? Oh, I mean, I'm not proud of this, but I won the fight big time. But it was it was a scary win because you hurt the guy. It woke me up. I hurt. Yeah, it was not. I was not proud afterwards, mm. and uh, I realized, oh, I could actually do some real damage, and that was a wake up call. When you relocated, and the girl, because see, I know that story because you know, I, I don't know if I, you know, when you interviewed me, we talked and. Um, one of the things I didn't tell is that I, I took my I took a, a high school a girl that I was dating a girl I was dating in high school. I took her to the prom. She dumped me the next day. She oh had, man! She had oh. used me. You know what I'm saying? Just so I could take her to the, the prom, pay for the prom, and then she dumped me oh, the next man. day. You know, I mean, oh, so that was a devastating experience for me that, that that people think I still hold on to every day because I'm considered hardcore. And obviously I'm 55. <laughs> I've never been married and I never and, and I've never really, really wanted to, even though I was engaged a couple of times, but I've never really wanted to get married. I did want to get married, but not to the degree that you do when you get older. So it's definitely yeah. a wise decision, all joking aside, and I wish you nothing but the best. But when you Thank talk you. about when you talk about that wake up call and you talk about tapping into controlling your emotions, controlling your mind, whether it was you, whether it's Kobe, whether it's some of the other great minds that you've talked to and you've interviewed over these years, which obviously having a successful podcast, 
What have you learned from them as it pertains mm. to whether it's a device or ingredient or whatever the appropriate word is to controlling the mind and controlling the emotions so you don't get a bit haphazard and overreact in a, neg- in a fashion that could ultimately be detrimental to you? Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't know if it's more controlling or awareness and being conscious of the mind and the emotions. Um, because when you are aware and conscious of it, you don't need to control or hold back anything, I think. So but the first thing is understanding where in your life you feel like you're not enough. Because most of the greats are triggered by a feeling of not enoughness. Something mm-hmm. in their childhood or teen years or didn't get picked on the on, on the, the playground or whatever it is or got bullied or something. Their parents drove something in them, whatever it might be. I remember Kobe, his story was, I think it was his, he was 13 or 14. He didn't score one point in an entire summer league. Wow. He played all summer in a league and he didn't score one point. And the thing that he told me at least was that his father said, whether you score one or score none, I'm going to love you no matter what. And for him, that gave him permission to say, all right, I can go out there and fail because I know I'm going to be loved. Mm -hmm. And most of us are driven to seek approval and love because we didn't get it somewhere. But when we get to the root of where I'm not enough, there's usually three fears that cause us to doubt ourselves. The fear of failure, the fear of success, and the fear of judgment or other people's opinions. And at the center of one of those fears, usually we have one of those fears is more of a dominant for us until we've addressed it and processed it. So the fear of failure, the fear of success, the fear of judgment. If you ask a room of people, Stephen, and you say, how many of here raise your hand or are afraid of failure? 70, 80% of most rooms raise their hand that they're afraid to fail. And it causes them to doubt self. And so that causes them to take less action on their goals, their dreams, or whatever it might be. They're less courageous because they have that fear. Correct. If you ask a room of people, how many people here are afraid of success? About 50 to 60% of the rooms that I ask will raise their hand that they're afraid of success. Now, for me, this always blew my mind because as a kid, I wanted success. So I was like, I'm not afraid of this. This is what I want. But most people are afraid of it because the pressure, the weight, the stress of it, the Leaving the hometown to go after what you want, losing friends, people now wanting more money from you, whatever it might be, all the things that come with success. There's an actual documentary called Weight of Gold that is about Olympians that get depressed or commit suicide after they win the gold medal from the weight and the pressure of success. We see it with a lot of people when they retire. The third one is the judgment, the fear of judgment. What are other people going to think and say about me? And For some people, criticism does not affect them. They're driven by it. You know, I see Coach Prime talking about this. You guys can talk about whatever you want, but I'm going to go after and I'm going to disrupt the industry, right? But other people, they're crippled by the criticism and that holds them back from believing in self and going after it. At the root of all three of those fears is I am not enough, a concept we've all felt at one point in time and some more than others. And when we can learn to recognize where we don't feel enough and how to manage and navigate that and be aware of it and work with that, that's when we can control, navigate, or manage our thoughts and our mind to not hold us back, but to allow us to move forward. Wow. We're talking to Lewis House right here with Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Um, 
As we reflect on things that you've accomplished uh, with your podcast and beyond, with your New York Times bestselling book, I remember reading something where you said you couldn't get motivated building somebody else's empire and didn't like people telling you uh, that you couldn't do something. Mm -hmm. Most would say that's 99% of the world that's in that Mm -hmm. kind of position. You're usually working for somebody else instead of being self-employed. You're Mm -hmm. usually having to follow orders. You're usually having to help somebody build their empire to some degree. Everybody is told what to do. Even when you own your own business, you got clients and they're telling you what you want. So the question to me begs, how is what you just said with what I just read? How is that helpful to the average person if they're able to look at themselves and say, well, that's us. I mean, we, we, we don't own it. Most of us don't own our own business. Most of us don't necessarily control our own destiny in that regard. Most of us do have to take, take orders. Even those of us who are business owners and entrepreneurs have to answer to somebody. What is he talking about? How do we get around that? How do you answer that question? <laughs> well, it comes down to vision. And uh, I remember when I was starting, after I was done playing arena ball, I was never good enough to make the NFL. I had a few tryouts, but you know, I'm a 6'4", 225-pound wide receiver, but I didn't have the speed. I was a 4'6 guy, and just that's not good enough at the pros. Played arena ball, got injured, broke my wrist, was in a cast from my shoulder to my, my hand in this position for six months as they fused a bone from my hip to my wow. wrist. And I was li- sleeping on my sister's couch during this time. For a year and a half on her couch, living for free, not paying rent, eating her food. After a year and a half, she said, it's time you you contribute. You should probably look for a job. I remember I started to apply for sports marketing jobs. This was in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And um, I finally got, I found a, a job that was like, oh, this is a company that I think I could be interested in. I think I like. And I got a uh, an interview. And so I put on the one blazer I had, the nice pair of pants I had from college still, and I get ready to go out the door of my sister's house to head to this interview. And for whatever reason, I could not enter the car. I opened the door and I literally cannot go out of the house to get into the car because for some reason, I thought to myself, and I had a much bigger ego then, I was like, I'm going to do this interview. I'm going to crush this. They're going to hire me. And I saw the path. I'm going to be here for three to five years. I'm going to I'm going to work hard and prove myself and be successful. And I realized that wasn't my vision. My vision wasn't that, to work with that company. And I think people, I think it's really hard to start or launch a business. And I have more people that I report to than if I just had one boss or one company I was working for. I've got all of our listeners who I need to make sure I show up for in a positive way and show up as a leader to. I've got my employees. I've got our partners I've got the big, I've got all the algorithms that I report to yep. YouTube, the, the uh, you know, Apple, Spotify, all these different places. I got to report to everyone, but I'm clear on the vision. And for me, the vision is to serve a hundred million lives weekly to help them improve the quality of their life. And so I would, I could go work for a company as long as they had that vision. And so I think people need to understand, am I in alignment with the vision I have for myself? The great athletes are very clear on what they want to accomplish in their athletic endeavors and their vision. They're clear on the end goal, the result they're looking towards. Most people are not clear. And so they might just be frustrated that they're in a career or a job that they don't fully love how, because their vision isn't aligned. But how do you become clear? 
I mean, I'm asking that stuff not just for the average folks mm-hmm. out there. I'm asking that show for myself. Yeah. As successful as I've been, there's sometimes where the vision isn't clear. It's a bit blurred because there's so many opportunities. There's so many mm-hmm. people in your face telling you what you can do. What would be a better opportunity, this one or that one, where you'd be mm-hmm. best suited for? I follow my passion. I follow my gifts. I follow what I know that I can do and be successful at asking myself, will I really like that? Because it's hard for me to imagine I would not like success. But would I really like doing that along the way? But despite the inordinate amount of success that I've been able to enjoy, Lewis, I I got to be straight up with you. I mean, there are days where it is a bit foggy. You find yourself enjoying other things that you're not obligated to do Mm -hmm. more than the things you are obligated to do, but you may be highly successful at and didn't really have a problem doing. How do you capture that vision of clarity? There's there's two things here. There's a gift and a curse of success, right, Stephen A? You're one of the highest paid TV personalities, or at least in sports from my my awareness, Uh, you know, at one of the most successful networks in the world. Millions of people would beg, dream, and kill to have the opportunity that you have to be in your seat. Millions, if not a billion people probably, like who would want that type of success, mm-hmm. that awareness, that those relationships, that access, like it is unbelievable. But the gift and curse of that is once you've had it for a long time, there's a thousand new opportunities that unfold. And I think it was Warren Buffett said the difference between successful people and extremely successful people is the ability to say no. And I'm paraphrasing this, but when you become more successful and have more opportunities, there is a curse to that. It's a gift and a curse. I mean, this is a first world problem to have that, but there's a decision fatigue. There's an opportunity fatigue and it can seem overwhelming. And what once was, and I'm not putting any words in your mouth here, but what's once is the most incredible thing ever is now, yes, this is still incredible, but I have other interests. I have other things that I'm curious about. So there's, there's a, a letting go of things that maybe no longer serve us in life. Once we create those opportunities we want. And I think those that truly build uh, a legacy of goat status, right? are the ones that are able to say no to so many things. You think about Kobe, you think about Brady, you think about people that are playing their sport for 20 years. They say no to a lot of opportunities until after they're done. And it's not fun. It's not fun to show up the same thing every single day and be consistent. And I'm not saying that's what we should all do. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying there is a certain price to pay for greatness at a specific level. And that doesn't mean you can't be great in life Mm -hmm. at every level. But that's one thing. And I think for others who aren't clear on their vision, I remember when I was playing arena ball, um, I was a truck driver for six and a half hours a day because I was doing two-day practices with wow. the Columbus Destroyers. Yep. So I practiced in the morning with the Columbus Destroyers, and then I practiced at night. I would do like uh, drills with the quarterback and receivers and then kind of the whole team later at night. Um, and I needed something to make money. So I was a truck driver. I would drive a Napa auto car parts truck from Columbus to Cincinnati and back every day. And I don't know if you've ever been to Ohio and driven from Columbus to Cincinnati, but there's not much to look at except for cornfields. Yep. <laughs> and um, back in the day, in that truck, this was before there was Bluetooth and all these different things. You went 55 miles an hour, pedal to the metal. I can't really listen to music. I can't call people. And I realized after three months of this, this is something I don't want to do. And so through elimination of trying things and seeing what you don't want to do, 
will help you get closer to what you do want to do. A little bit of struggle, I think, is a good thing for people realizing, I don't like this. What am I drawn to? If I really listen to my heart, what is calling me? What is drawing me? What is getting me closer to something that feels more aligned to my talents and gifts and to what brings me joy and fulfillment? And I think we should be leaning into the things that bring us more joy and fulfillment with our career choices and aligning a vision with a company, a group, or whatever it might be that supports that alignment. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Well, a couple of things I think that you'll be interested in knowing because we, we have something, we have a couple of things in common. I was on a basketball scholarship at Winston-Salem State University when I was working part-time at Roadway Trucking in Kernelville, North Carolina, loading and unloading 18-wheeler trucks, okay? So that was one job. The other thing was is that your dyslexia, if I recall, according to my yes. research, was diagnosed. Yep. Mine was undiagnosed, but I grew up suffering from dyslexia. That's how I got left back in the fourth mm. grade with a first grade reading level. So, wow. so we definitely have that in common. Talk to me for a second about how those challenges helped shape what you are today because Man. those challenges were there before. You had other challenges later on that led to the epiphany that yes. success wasn't what needed to be chased. It was greatness. But mm-hmm. this was happening before all of that. So yes. what kind of impact did that have? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's gifts in every struggle. And it sounds like your your gifts through your struggle, you learned how to co- read and communicate and understand people. And this is something I did as well as a kid. I started to observe people because I didn't feel smart enough, talented enough, or gifted enough to fit in. So I watched and observed people and I learned how to overcome my fears of rejection over and over again essentially for survival in my own mind, at least. And when I was eight, my brother went to prison for four and a half years, just Mm. selling drugs to an undercover cop. And coming from a very small town in Ohio, mostly my neighborhood was mostly, you know, lower middle class, mostly white kids around the neighborhood. I hadn't seen anyone go to prison as an eight-year-old, except for what I saw on TV and movies at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't really allowed to have friends during that time because the parents didn't want their kids hanging out with the convict's little brother. Wow. That that was a challenge. And then when I went away to eighth grade, I was diagnosed with a second grade reading level as well. So I had this this insecurity like, man, I'm never going to be good enough in school or in anything where I have to think critically around books and reading and memory and all these different things. But I said, you know what? I have incredible hand-eye coordination, or at least in my you know, school grade I did. And I'm going to lean into this gift of athleticism, of having a vision, of seeing the ball where it's going to be before it's there, and always being in the right place at the right time in sports. And I started to develop that gift in business. I started to see trends. I started to see what I needed to create ahead of time. And pretty much every time I did that, good things would happen. And then I started to help others do the same. So whatever I found or I felt insignificant, that was where one of my greatest gifts were born out of. 
And it sounds like for you too, you had an incredible drive. You had an incredible, as opposed to studying and reading and writing, you used your voice yeah. and you connected people with humor and with intellect and with storytelling and captivating people the way you do now to be at the top of your game at one of the biggest networks in the world. And it is given you so much more benefit than being able to read and write at a high level in fifth grade, right? So tapping into the, the places in our life where we struggle the most, usually there's something good that can come from that if we can see the benefit and lean into it. Mm. You know, I'm thinking about what you're saying and, and, and I'm thinking, I'm imagining I'm trying to interview you and stay focused, Lewis, but I got to tell you why I'm a bit distracted because the kind of content and the discussion that we're having, I'm imagining Kobe because mm -hmm. he was a friend and I miss him all the time, man. I loved him dearly. And uh, it's so sad to know that he was gone because as you know, sitting in front of him, it didn't take long to figure out how brilliant this brother was. He was something it's special, unbelievable. just unbelievable yeah. intellect. And it was something special. And I'm imagining the kind of things that he said to you with questions like this about greatness, about sacrifice and what it takes. Do you find yourself in this day and age thinking the way that you think, being as motivational as you are, knowing that you're saying things that people will easily embrace and receive because it's not off-putting. It's very supportive. Do you find yourself at any time turned off by people's willingness to take shortcuts, by people's willingness to cut corners? They're thinking about the end result as opposed to the process it takes mm -hmm. to get to where you know they need to go in order for them to feel good about themselves as much as they want to. And you just literally are witnessing people sitting before your very eyes, talking to you that are their own impediment to their own success. Do you find yourself noticing that more and more? And if so, how frustrating is, it, is that for somebody <laughs> like yourself who is so committed to having a positive impact. I, I see it a lot. And I don't know if it frustrates me. I more have compassion and empathy because there's been times in my life where I've cut corners or I wanted the success faster than I got it, or I was chasing something to feel loved and needed and seen. And so I feel like I, because I've been there before, I have compassion for people. And I just try to give it to them as straight as possible, you know, and I try to do it by leading by example for myself. Like I, I'm focused on my health every morning and really dive into it because I know I let myself go a little bit and I'm like, how can I speak into something if I'm not doing it myself? So I've got to make sure that I'm clean in my house first, that I'm taking care of my body, my mind, my energy, my relationships first and really lead by example. Mm -hmm. So the less I worry about other people and the more I focus on how can I be a great leader mm -hmm. to me? How can I be someone I respect? How can I be someone that my future self will be proud of because I'm putting in the work for me, even when people see it or don't see it? I'm proud of my consistent decisions. I have more compassion for other people when they say, hey, how do I get to this place or how do I accomplish my goals and my vision sooner? And I say, listen, you just got to be willing to put in the work. I was talking to a friend of mine last night who's probably 10, 15 years older than me. He's about 50, 60 pounds overweight, and he's let himself go a little bit. Mm -hmm. And for years, I've been telling him, man, I, I want to see you healthy. 
we need you in this world. The world needs you. You're an incredible voice. You're an incredible leader. And I kind of gave him a coming to Jesus moment where I was like, you've got to change your lifestyle for yeah. your health because otherwise you're going to struggle. And literally last night he was like, this is the one area of my life where I struggle. I make great money. I've got really great relationships, but this is a challenge for me. And it's not going to get easier in your sixties and seventies. And I said, um, you know, you just got to make a decision and be committed to it, but he doesn't have that. He doesn't want it bad enough. Right. And some people want the result, but they don't want to pay the price. They don't want to pay now. the price. They don't want to pay the price. And I say, okay, cool. You know, it just means you will suffer greater well, later. And you can either you can either suffer now mm -hmm. and control the suffering, right. or you won't be able to control what happens well, later. Well, Louis, you'll be very proud of me, my brother, because before I ask my next question, uh, over nearly a couple of years ago, I had COVID. Um, I had um Skinny fat is just the nastiest thing in the world. Skinny fat is just nasty. <laughs> it thing is in the world. nasty, man. When you have no muscle, no definition whatsoever, you just skinny mm -hmm. with a pot belly, um, and and you don't know where the hell it's come from because you ain't eating that. You're not eating that much. You don't know why it's just ballooning. What's going on, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And I just committed myself um, after watching my man Dana White turn his health mm -hmm. around, the president right. of the UFC. Look at that transformation. Right? Look at that transformation. Um, he introduced me to to a guy uh, for Gary. 10X Health, Gary Brecker. Yep. Um, yep. And, and not only that, you know, I, I, I already have a trainer, all of that stuff. Last eight months, I've lost 33 pounds. My cholesterol level has dropped by 100 points. Let's go. My insulin levels have dropped from a 20, have, 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 have dropped from a 27 to a 2. Come on. I went from being 0.1 point away with a 6.3 number with my A1C levels from being completely diabetic to being wow. 5.3. No risks wow. whatsoever of diabetes. And I am in the best condition that I've been in in 25 years. Oh, it's incredible. 20, 25 years. But here's the beauty of it. Because... Of that health transformation, which, by the way, is still in progress because I injured my shoulder recently again. And of I, I did nothing major, but I got a rest for weeks. So I couldn't work. And I was working out six days a week, crying out loud. Can't do that now, right? So, but, but here's the deal. Because of that physical transformation, my health, where my stomach's gone and all of this other stuff, it has helped my mental. It has helped my spiritual. You know, I have my little moments where I get agitated or whatever and overreact. Then I catch myself. Because all of a sudden, nothing bothers me nearly as much as it used to because I'm happier with myself. When mm -hmm. you say you prioritized yourself in the morning, one is the physical. Physical is given. Exercise, exercise, exercise. All right, and eat right. Diet and exercise. That's what it is. How do you address the mental? How did you address mm -hmm. the spiritual? Uh, it's, you know, this is interesting. Well, first off, you know, in the in the uh, in the words of Prime, you know, you're not coming anymore. You're here, <laughs> yeah. and you're in that you're in that journey. But you're you're still you're still arriving. But you've arrived, which is really cool. Um, I address my my spiritual, my mental. This I don't know if this is the you know the right place to speak like this, but through really through healing mm. my mind, and 
going, I mean, I spent the last, I don't know, 10 years going through a, a spiritual and emotional and mental journey of uncovering the painful memories of my past that my brain has kept as our brains are artifacts. Mm. They hold Absolutely. the memories and experiences of our past. Right. Our interpretation of those memories create an emotional reaction, a feeling. Those feelings drive our behaviors and then trigger our thoughts to think a certain thing and this cycle and loop continues. So in order to break a cycle of trauma, pain, resentment, frustration, the mind taking over, we must go back and mend the memories of the past, create new meaning behind the memories that hurt us, that caused us to feel not mm -hmm. enough or frustrated or, you know, you have a clear memory of your, your date at prom breaking up with you and yes, probably I for do. a long time, probably for a long time, that was painful and hurtful. Maybe it still does today, but that was an artifact and a pain that might've influenced certain actions in your life and relationships. I don't know. I'm not putting your mouth, but it, it sure. might have. You're right. I had, I had similar memories. I got picked last on fourth grade in, in uh, a dodgeball game. The teacher took the whole class out and said, okay, I'm going to have two captains pick one at a time. And two boy captains picked every boy in our class first. And I was the last boy, mm. but they skipped me and they started picking every girl one at a time to be on the, the dodgeball teams on, on the, on the dodgeball court. And I was the last one picked. And you better believe that drove me to say, I'm never going to get picked last again. And That's it right. drove me to, to push harder than ever as an athlete. Mm. We've got to learn how to mend those memories, and then attach it to a meaningful mission. Most of us aren't clear on what we want, and it's not meaningful enough to us that is beyond looking good, beyond having something to feel powerful. When we mend the memories and we have a meaningful mission at the same time, we have a force of energy like you've had around your health in these last nine months that is unstoppable. It doesn't mean it's not challenging and there's not hard days and it's not a sacrifice, but you are unstoppable. And the force is so powerful that you are able to overcome so much more temptation, stress, or whatever, because you started to mend something around your health. You have a new meaning for the mission. You want to probably live longer. You don't want to be sore. You don't want to be right. hurting yourself when you're- in You want to be at your best. Particularly when you're performing best. and you're performing with the eyes of the world staring down upon you. You want to make sure I cover professional athletes. I'm like, the least I can do is be in some decent shape. I'm covering the most phenomenal <laughs> athletes in the world. I mean, damn, make a try, make an effort, do something. Exactly. I mean, that, that definitely plays a role in it. Before I let you get on out of here, your latest book is called The Greatest Mindset. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's another thing we have in common. Both of us are New York Times bestseller, bestsellers. You say the book will teach readers several key things. Tell me some of them. I think the first one is figuring out what your main fear is, what causes you to doubt yourself the most. And I put them through a lot of exercises to help them overcome that feeling of self-doubt. You know, there's a lot of great athletes that you have interviewed and you're probably extremely close with who have this belief in self or belief in something higher than self that is unwavering. And you've probably seen a lot of talented athletes, like the freakest athletes you've ever seen, not be able to, to perform 
at high pressure situations, but they have every element except for belief. So the goal is teaching people how to get back to a, a state of self-belief that makes it unwavering for them and really how to figure out how to overcome the fears and insecurities that hold us back. And like you said, when you have no clue on what your vision is or what options to take, or you have too many options, most people stumble there. This creates an exercise that allows you to get clear on your own meaningful mission at every stage of life. So at least you have clarity and you can move towards something you're excited about as opposed to being confused. Mm. Just that simple. Listen, I- I'm mad that I've got to go um, and you have to as well. This is one of the most enlightening conversations I've had. I've got to think about myself, Lewis, because things are going pretty well. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm always ambitious. I'm always looking for more. But the level of satisfaction that one ultimately internalizes is what to me leads to true peace. And when you have true peace, you've got room for growth because there's an absence of urgency that gets attached to everything. You don't feel pressure. And as a result, you don't feel like you failed when failure hasn't even knocked at your door. You're not overreacting to that emotionally. And I think that goes a very, very long way. I think it's safe to say that's an epiphany that you've reached at this stage and point in your life. Has it not? Has, is that not the case? Uh, I think peace. You mentioned it right there. I had. G, I don't know if you had Jeezy on for his book that just came out. Not yet. A fan I intend his. to, but I will. But he he said that uh, being uh, having peace is the new rich. Yeah. And I feel like having peace in your decision-making in your career or your business, having peace around your health and having peace in your relationships Mm -hmm. for me is the greatest thing. And so it's always focusing on being in integrity with myself and my vision and integrity with my decisions so that I have, and that I am peace. Mm. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to have challenges and struggle and have hard moments or days but at least knowing that I'm in a peaceful state most of the time. I'm quite sure your fiance is a very, very lovely and beautiful woman with physical creatures as men. We are attracted to what we see. We don't look at somebody we're not attracted to and say, I want to marry you. I mean, so it's safe to say that she's probably a very, very beautiful woman in your eyes. But if you had to pinpoint the one thing that she brings to your life that made you say, Mm -hmm. Hey, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Would it be peace? I think um, uh, she cultivates a level of peace and because she continues to work and develop herself, her personal growth, and she fully accepts who I am. And so because she fully accepts me and she is a conscious communicator, I have incredible amount of peace and it's a beautiful, like I've never wanted to, I've never been engaged before. I've never asked someone these words, will you marry me until last week? Wow. And as a, as a 40 year old man, I never thought I would do that because I never felt peace in any relationship. Mm. And I had to create the peace within me first and then attract someone at a different frequency who also had that peace as opposed to chaos. Cause I was attracting chaos because I had chaos inside of me. And so once I was able to mend these memories from my past that allowed me to choose differently in intimacy that gave me a lot of peace. So she she brings it because she is peace. Wow. Lewis Hall, Lewis Howes, man. I really, really appreciate the time and really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed when you interviewed me as well, man. You're a great, great person yeah. to talk to, man. It's an honor and a privilege to spend this time with you, man. I wish we had more time. But thank you so much for joining the show, man. I really appreciate it.
Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate you, brother. Take care, buddy. See you soon. The one and only Lewis yeah, House right here with Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. That's it for this edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Thanks for watching another episode. You can watch me at the very least every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday over the digital airways of YouTube. Make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Just click the bell to get notified for all of our new content and be sure to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Until next time, this is Stephen A. signing off. Peace and love, everybody. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.